everybody. Welcome to another Film Talk. AJ is joining me again, and we are talking about something different this time. We are talking about the 19... What was it? 1973? 1973. The 1973 animated French and Czech film... Fantastic Planet. So, AJ, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, man, it's good to be back, and it's good to be talking about, you know, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's always fun um, doing all this. Um, and I know we've we've talked about doing something like this for at least a year. <laughs> like, I know this, uh, this pod, I've, I've talked about, we've talked about podcasting, for over a year, and and you've told me to watch this film a year ago, um, and man, I've seen it so many times since then. Now, uh, since you speak so highly of it, and and don't get me wrong, it is a really good film um, that I do encourage everyone to see, and that's kind of why we're doing this episode, since it's still fairly unknown for a movie that came out in 1973. Um, but I don't want to get too into it, since you're more of the uh, the expert here. So why don't you take the floor and tell us uh, a little bit about the film and uh, set us up. The film came out in 1973. Uh, it's based on a 1957 novel uh, by French writer Stéphane Wool. Mm. It's called uh, Ohms en Serie, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And basically the plot's pretty much the same. Um, and it's pretty good. The movie's directed by Rene Lalou. Mm -hmm. uh, the animation is done by Roland Tapour, and it's a really uh, distinct animation. Mm -hmm. It's used with paper cutouts, mm. and it's one of one of the earliest films to be used, if not the earliest, with paper cutouts. Um, I want to say even before like Monty Python popularized it, mm. it uh, this is the central film that popularized that. Mm -hmm. um, and it also has a great musical score mm -hmm. by Alan Kohargi, who he implemented jazz, funk, and electronic sound yep. to the score. That man, it's just awesome. Just a record by itself is amazing. Oh yeah, but it, it's a really it's a really good film. Uh, it dwells on a lot of different uh, elements, um, from slavery to um, uh, how we treat uh, beings that we consider lesser than ourselves, and it kind of puts ourselves in a reverse role of like, you know, what would it be like if humans were, you know, not the dominant species on the planet? We were considered as pests or. Um, are slaves uh, in that sense it even goes into but uh, it's a very good film I'm very passionate about this movie uh, I didn't discover it myself until I want to say like around 2009 I went into a dollar store and I <laughs> I found it in a dollar store huh. I'd never heard of it before I just thought the animation on the front looked so bizarre and I could have swore I saw it somewhere before but man once I watched it for the first time it, it blew me away and then I realized that the film was never released on DVD in the States until 2006, mm -hmm. even though it came out in 1973. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I've been excited about this movie. It's it's definitely out there. Yeah. Yeah, it is very interesting. Um, from what I understand, too, and like the opening of the movie talks about, uh, it's a French production and the film is in French. Um, however, it's animated in Czechoslovakia, 
So um, that is why it gets its distinct style. It's by uh, Czech artists. So I always associated it as like a French kind of style, but it's actually Czech. Um, or at least they, they're the ones who did it. Um, so I thought that was very interesting that, you know, two industry... Well, France is known for their... Um, more so for their criticism, but um, when it comes to... Uh, what is his name? Uh, Jacques Truffaut. Uh, when it comes to uh, yes. when it comes to Jacques Truffaut, uh, he's um, and there's another very prominent, several very prominent uh, French directors, but uh, Jacques, no, Francois Truffaut. I'm sorry, <laughs> Francois Truffaut. Um, he is a very prominent. Uh, he made the 400 Blows. He made um, uh, Day for Night. I uh, believe he did, um, what is that, Breathless? I think that that's what it's called. Um, but he's a very prominent. But uh, in the 50s, the French, they were more, um, or after World War II, they're the ones who created the term film noir. Um, when I was in college, we took a, I took a film noir class, uh, film criticism in film noir. That literally, the term came from um, French, it's, it's, Film noir means black film or dark film um, because essentially that's what the themes and the way that the black and white films looked, they were very dark compared to most other films that were um, from America. And during uh, during post-World War II, World War II, like the end of World War II and post-World War II, um, because during World War II, a lot of films were prevented from coming to France. So a lot of mm. Hitchcock's films and the French, the or uh, the film noir, all came at the same time. So they were able to see a lot of these similarities in films and put them all together. So that's where uh, the term auteur theory comes from as well. The, the auteur, uh, Alfred Hitchcock was dubbed the first auteur, um, which is just... Um, a director who's known for certain things. I'm not trying to go on a whole French tangent, but it's uh, my point is is that there's not many French animated films, and so Fran while France has a very a more prominent movie industry, um, with it being an animated film, it's still an outcast in a very small um, film industry. Yeah. What I like too is when you can get, you know, two different complete like nationalities and everything, right. two different collaborators, mm -hmm. or, or two different artists come in and collaborate and just make a masterpiece. Like nobody was ready for this movie when it came out. It kind of blew people away. Right. It won the uh, I can't remember the year. Uh, the Canes. It was in 1973. Mm -hmm. They won a special Jerry Prize. Yep. When it came out. Which is awesome because people weren't ready for that type of film. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've seen psychedelic films at the time, but this one with the animation style um, uh, credited towards Roland Tapur, it just blew people away. And then the symbolism of what it kind of represented, you know, it, it was pretty, pretty awesome, you know, for the time that it came out. Right. Yeah, and I do eventually want to get into the film itself, uh, but I do want to keep talking about the setup because there is a lot to talk about because it's such an odd um, combination 
um, of these people working together to make this film. Um, I also wanted to say, too, that at least the version that I watched on HBO Max, they were saying that um, this film was restored from the original negative. And uh, if I'm, I'm sounding a little different, I'm looking over to the side to look oh. at my phone here because I have all these notes. No. <laughs> I... So uh, I did have a question. Sure. I, I didn't even know it was on HBO Max. That's actually awesome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they have this whole intro in French that pops up before the film um, plays. Um, and it's all translated, but it's all it pops up there, and so you can find out some of this information. Um, and I did a little bit of digging. Um, usually when I dissect a film, I will go... If I'm being really, really anal, I will go frame by frame. <laughs> but I try not to do that because that is tedious. Um, and like when I was, when I was in film school, that's what I would do is frame by frame because that way it's like, if I wanted to really notice stuff, I would really dissect films. Um, but it just is so horribly time consuming and you get sick of certain films. Like, uh, in us talking about this film, I showed my wife, like I said, I saw it because you, you, uh, recommended it showed my wife and then for talking about setting up this podcast i watched it another two times so in one year i've watched this film four times i don't want to watch it for a while <laughs> i mean it's a good film it's just uh that's a lot of times that's, that's a lot it's a lot I mean, for any film <laughs> mm -hmm. so this film was restored from the original negative in 2016 right and um, like you said, it won the Special Jury Prize at uh, the Cannes Film Festival in 1973. Um, so in the early 70s, um, the MPAA, the movie rating system, wasn't established. There was a period of about a year and a half where there was no rating system because they were going off the Hayes Code. Um, and that's why uh, people say that movies from way back when were more wholesome and stuff and it was due to the Hayes Code. The Hayes Code didn't allow certain things in film, like prohibited completely. So um, when they repealed the Hayes Code, um, like I said, there were some movies that um, just thinking maybe I should have put a disclaimer on this episode because uh, it does deal with some sensitive Correct. topics. Yeah, um, and then when the <laughs> Even when the movie came out, they considered it an experimental adult animated science fiction film. Like, it yes. wasn't a children's film. Yes. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're not going to go into anything like – it's not too explicit. It's just um, there are some themes that – it's interesting because when you take a – like, a piece of art, right? There could be nudity in art. And, you know, you're like, oh, the curvature of certain things – you know, it, it symbolizes this or whatever. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of what this film does. There is a lot of nudity and um, depending... Phallic? Huh? You mean like phallic symbolism? No, I mean there's complete blatant nudity. Like there's a lot of like... Mm -hmm. You see a lot of uh, breasts in the film. <laughs> there are a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's not done in a sexual way. You know what I mean? It's, no, it's... It's the culture, you know what I mean? It's the same as, like, mm -hmm. National Geographic having a topless woman in it uh, from, like, a tribe, you know what I mean? 
a secluded tribe. Like she's, that's part of their culture. They don't see it as indecent, but we in our culture see it as indecent. Um, and we are also talking about alien species that aren't real species. You know what I mean? And so that's all that context, but there is going to be some things going forward that is discussed um, that could be a little sensitive. So uh, sorry for the late warning, but yeah, there's your warning there. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, they're pretty much depicting the humans as like you said, like tribal people and they're either treated as slaves or pests and uh, the garments that they're wearing are revealing, but they don't see it like that. Um, Right. It's, they're almost like um, considered savages to uh, the natives of the planet. Right. So, so it's, it's not, you know, it's not, nudity to the point to where they're really trying to be like flashy or anything like that. It's, right. it's just the characters happen. Those are like the only garments they could probably find in the wild. Right. Or um, the nudity that's used by the drags, uh, D-R-A-A-G, um, not like people in drag. <laughs> that's the species. Uh, technically, actually, in the English dubbed version, I don't know if you knew this, but it's, they're called... It's tri- Yes, yes, yes. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know what's funny? Mm-hmm. Can I say something on that? Sure. I watched two different versions of the film. Oh, lucky you! Mm-hmm. And one of them, uh, well, it, it was the same right. film, like the wording and everything, but the subtitle, mm-hmm. the English subtitles, were different. And I thought maybe one of them yes. was supposed to be English dubbed, and the other one was more of like. The French, like, mm-hmm. you know, English translation kind of, uh, you could tell that the words were a little bit more simplified. Right. Uh, and when I was watching it, I, you know, you could understand what they were saying, but they would say it in English, but the subtitles wouldn't be the same English words. They would be more simplified, mm-hmm. and you could tell what happened. They were using more of a English from French dub instead of exactly what they were saying in English on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to see if HBO Max had a a way that I could toggle it into English and check it out that way, since I've seen it in French now four times. Um, but unfortunately, on HBO Max, that's all you have. I, I think you may have to get the DVD. I mean, you said you have the DVD. I don't know if it's on yours. I think there might be a Blu-ray, but there might there is some form that is a dub English dub version, um, and there are some subtle differences. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the DVD I have, it's a very basic DVD. Like there's no yeah. paper when you open it up. It's a very flimsy plastic. Um, but it looks like a legitimate DVD of it. Like I said, I bought it at a dollar store, mm-hmm. but man, when the movie's over, it just goes to the main screen and all you can do is press play. Huh. <laughs> like there's, I think, I think, I think there's an option to change the audio, but that's it, man. There is nothing else. Like you can't even skip scenes. There's no credits. Uh, no, Whoa. no, I believe, uh. I believe the movie just ends and it goes right to the, the main menu. That's it's weird. really weird. Wow. Huh. Strange. Um, yeah, I actually, uh, not at the dollar. I mean, I've actually picked up a couple. I picked up a Brendan Fraser film that I've never heard of at the uh, the dollar store. 
Um, like it, it was called something, something was the night or something like that. Uh, Mostef is in it, um, which is really odd. It was right when Brendan Fraser was falling out of uh, favor. <laughs> That's hard to say, but I've I have a copy of uh, Night of the Living Dead that I picked up from Walmart for like fifty cents, like literally fifty cents. Maybe it was a dollar. I think it was actually forty nine cents. But it's in like this jewel case, and it's really strange. It's a really thin case, but it's very basic, like what you were saying. And it's weird because I was like, hey, I can't go wrong with a a movie this cheap at Walmart. It was like when when you check out, they had some random movies and. But it's it's crazy. Some of the stuff you can find, you can find some. Di- oh, I actually found a copy of Blade Runner at the dollar store. I think I showed you a picture of it one time. Oh, awesome! Yep, I think it was the um, the com the what what is what is the phrasing that they have? I, I I'm, it's in the other room. I can't go grab it without <laughs> messing with all this recording. But um, uh, the final cut. Yes, the final cut. Thank you. Yes. But That's I picked that up. Cool. Yeah. I was like, this is the best dollar I could spend. They're the best way to spend a buck. <laughs> Buy yeah, Blade Runner. Can't go wrong there. Yeah, man. I mean, they surprised me. I, I've seen, I've come across some movies I haven't seen since I was a kid at the dollar store. Like, uh, I don't go there all the time. But <laughs> and right. you, you'll go in there for something basic and then you're like, oh, they have this? <laughs> right. But I wanted to get back uh, to one of the things I was saying before. And why I brought up the disclaimer was because um, during that time, the early 70s, when the rating system was repealed, there was no rating system. Um, during that time, some of the most racy and raunchy films were released. Literal porn. Like, not even kidding. Like, there is a film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. If you've right. never seen nudity in a trailer before, this trailer has all the kinds of nudity that you could imagine. You know what I mean? Like, and that's just the trailer. You know what I mean? Like this, like they pushed the budget, uh, or not the the bill. I'm sorry, they pushed the bill on what they could present in film during this time when there was no rating system. I bring all this up for a very good reason because when this film was uh released or uh, it got the MPAA rating system from the board. It may not have been released until later, but it did get a rating and it, it was the first animated film to be rated PG uh, with the MPAA rating. That's crazy. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. This version that I watched on HBO max was also, Huh? Well, I have, a, I have a question. Do you think the reason why they did that could have possibly been because it was an animation? I think they take that more seriously when you know, especially if it's an animation, and you know they know that kids are probably going to be drawn to it more. And if it's revealing something that's more targeted towards adults, I think they're quicker to crack down on it because they don't want kids to get sucked into it, and then they see nudity and all this other stuff, you know. Well, sure, but at the same time, though, too, it's because the MPAA was new, and so that's why it's the first film to be rated that. You know, like when Disney films were released, um, they if they were un, either they were unrated or they went with the Hayes Code rating, uh, like, say, Snow White, you know what I mean? But films beyond that point probably were G, because at the time, you know, those films were for children. You know what I mean? Animated films. Um, later on, 
um, I'm not saying like in the podcast, but like time wise, chronologically later on, you do get a lot more adult animated films, just people trying to push the budget, uh, like your, your Ralph Bakshi or, um, like heavy metal, things like that. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, Fritz the cat, a lot of those movies that came out were adult animated films. And that is, you know, it's something that continued into the nineties before, like now seeing adult animated film or adult animation period is not weird. You know what I mean? You know, family guys on TV every day, you know what I mean? Like we see that adult, you know, like there's a, an audience for an adult animated film, but during that time and as time progressed, I don't think the market was really that large for something like this. That's kind of a something that I wrote down in my notes is that um, they probably did this as an animated film because it would be so impossible or it would look very hokey if they tried to do some kind of um, miniaturization. You know what I mean? Yeah, correct. And I've seen attempts to make this film in other animations, like um, somebody tried to make it in a CGI, like a very basic CGI. And mm. I just think it it won't hit the mark the same way that the original film, because it had just such a unique artistic style and rendition for its time. It was just so, you know, it's a work of art. I mean, that's the best way to say it, because it used... The cutouts, it, it used shading, like, really well. Um, the musical score was fantastic. It was just really good. So I get what you're saying. If they tried to actually incorporate, you know, into a live-action movie, that would look kind of hokey, you know? Because <laughs> it would be a blue human, pretty much, in an alien costume. Right. But who knows? With today's effects, maybe they could pull it off, but I doubt it. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm trying to look right now. Um, did you know that there was actually a version of the Fantastic Planet? I mean, we've barely even scratched the surface of this film, and I'm talking about something that I saved for the end. <laughs> but did you know that this actually came out, uh, I think it was a French comic book. Um, let me send you this cover real quick. Hold up That's a second. That's pretty cool. Is it uh, the same story, or is it going off of, like, branching off? As far as... Well, it actually continues, unless this is oh. the novel itself. Um, I believe... Well, the... Because... It, that's the same name as the novel. Right. I saw some pages. Let me see if I can find them. I have them on my phone, but I don't know if it'll kick us off. Um, So I don't want to, like... Use uh, my fine. phone and upload these. Let me just try it. We can take that risk near the uh, the end of the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, either way, it's very interesting. The style, it's more like modern comics. And it's very strange because it doesn't look like this film at all. And no, I want to say... I do like the artwork. The artwork yes. looks very creepy. <laughs> yes. I feel like this artwork... Um, Works. <laughs> well, yes, but I feel like the story doesn't grab me as much as the artwork does. Like, I feel like the artwork is part of what draws me to this story because it's such a unique style. And with it being like a modern style, I feel like it detracts 
because it's like it doesn't the concept to me is not strong enough you know what i mean like as the story i think the art is what really does it at least for me it's just such a strange style and it's it's something that i definitely want to see a video game made in the same style um i think it would be very unique and i mean hey any game makers that are listening to this it's like literally just make a game in the style there's never been a game like this made it's like you'll stand out just because it looks so odd like an rpg because there's several times to where the characters are talking to each other and it especially towards the end of the film and i'm not trying to get into the story yet and i'll keep it vague so that way we can still talk um but you're looking over um the main character's shoulder at someone else and then if you notice in this film when it cuts to a character talking typically it will be a medium shot it'll show part of their chest and their whole head and they'll be talking and then it'll like do a cut to the opposite person talking so it never has two characters on screen at the same time talking you know what i mean so it's it's very strange but i i feel like it would be very video gamey like i see it as something like a fallout game you know when you're talking to the character they're looking right at you it, it would so like yeah, fallout yeah yeah like it seeing the dialogue options i just think it just really gives me that vibe but before we go any further why don't we get into the plot line of the story and set it up a little bit more um just so that that way (laughs) we're not like talking about something you know we can tell people who haven't seen the film what you know give them a rundown of what happens that way you can kind of follow along a little easier would you mind aj uh telling us a little bit about how the story progresses yeah so it's a uh the movie actually takes place on the planet yam and it's funny because a lot of people they hear fantastic planet and they associate it with the main planet that the story takes place on right but that that's not the fantastic planet right uh i'll get to that later um so it takes place on the planet yam and it's in the future to where these beings known as the drags, they have captured humans and are using them as pets. And there are wild humans um, that are in the wild and they're considered as pests uh, other than pets. But they're these giant, uh, they're very intellectual uh, alien beings that are, completely blue with red eyes mm-hmm. and the very beginning of the movie opens up with a mother you can it's a woman holding an infant and she's running from something and you can't see what she's running from and uh, these a human woman yes a human woman is mm-hmm. also known as an ohm in the mm-hmm. story is running from these objects flying down at her and uh, she can't seem to escape them. And then you see a giant blue hand next to her and it knocks her over and then it picks her up and it drops her. And then the infant is just left by itself and it zooms out and it turns out this giant hand belongs to one of the children uh, or one of the drag children. And they're all in a little huddle playing around with this human. Like she's a little 
a mouse or something. Like she's a little pet. Right. Uh, and or a bug. They, yeah, like a bug, and they killed her. So the infant is still alive. However, he's he's just a baby, mm-hmm. and uh, the drag that takes him in. Her name is actually, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. I can try. <laughs> um, but she, uh, her name is Tear. But she takes him in, and her father is actually very important. He's one of the drag, drag leaders. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he tells her, uh, you have to be very, he, he shows her pretty, he gives her pretty good tips on how to take care of a pet, you know, if you will, since it's a human um, you know, you got to feed it. You got to do this. Um, right. They even give it. A, they even give it a collar. So if it gets too far away, since they're so technologically advanced, they have this collar for him to where you can magnetically pull him back if he starts to escape. Right. So the main story is about this this human um, that gets taken by you know Trags and he's being treated as a pet. And it turns out the Trag family that took him in is very important. Uh, they're very important people to the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's pretty good. Uh, and then, do you want me to go in more into the story, or do you want me to just yeah, lay yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's pretty good. So Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, so as time goes on, he gets a little bit older, and he's starting to learn more. Uh, Tear, mm-hmm. the owner, she's like a teenage... Uh, Tiwa, excuse me, Tiwa mm-hmm. is the owner of Tara is the uh, right. is the name yeah. of the, uh, the right. boy who right. gets taken in. Um, Tiwa uh, starts to get a little bit older, but she has a ed- educational device, and it's pretty cool. It's a headband that mm-hmm. projects images pretty rapidly into your brain and cements them into your brain so you don't forget them. Right. Uh, and it just teaches you about the planet, about molecular structure, about other planets. Uh, it's like, for what I know, it's like the ultimate knowledge device. And then it just keeps going. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Cause throughout the movie, it just keeps teaching you more and more. Oh, so, yeah. so while she's doing her lessons, um, Tara is sitting like in the palm of her hand. And in one of these instances, he accidentally damages his collar, and that allows him to uh, uh, absorb some of the information that she's learning. So he's learning as she is, which mm-hmm. is very uncommon for the Ohms. You know that they're considered very dumb savages and right. pests, and but he he's very smart. And uh, so she goes out one day with her friends. And her friends are like egging her on, you know, get your your pet tear to come play with us. And you see how they're treating their human, their ohms. They're tying mm-hmm. their hairs together, making them fight. Right. Um, they're ye- yelling at them to sing. Um, kind of treating them like slaves almost, they're like pets slash slaves. Right. Um, and Tear is kind of not having it. He just out of nowhere. I wasn't even expecting this first time I saw. He starts choking one of them, and right. you know the other kids get mad. The other uh, uh, children get mad at Tear, uh, and they yell at Tiwa, saying, "You know your own is out of control." Blah blah right. blah. Right. And uh, as time goes on, uh, Tear is just 
not having it. He he finds a way to finally escape when Tiwa goes through her graduation ritual. You know, she hasn't been paying attention to uh, her human pet. She hasn't been paying attention to him. She's been neglecting him, and he uses this opportunity to escape. And he takes the headband that teaches Tiwa all her knowledge, uh, mm -hmm. all the drag alien knowledge, and he takes it away, and he escapes into the wilderness, and he finds a, uh, a tribe. He, he finds a, a woman at first, and mm -hmm. while he's he, while he's talking to her, uh, the mother of Tiwa says, "You can use the magnetic device to pull him back," and she doesn't mm -hmm. want to because she's afraid that since he's so far away putting it at max volume to draw him back magnetically, it could kill him. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, she's kind of desperate to have him back since, you know, he's her pet. So she does it. And the other uh, ohm that Tara runs into helps him take the collar off and it just flies off. So he's free finally. Right. So he takes his uh, device that he stole from the drags that teach knowledge, and he brings it to a neighboring tribe, and he starts showing them what he has, and they accept him for what he has. And eventually, I mean, it's kind of uh, foreseeable, you know, one of them's going to challenge Tear, you know, one of them ends up challenging him, you know, claiming that he doesn't know anything, and... You know, because he's an outsider, they kind of jokingly make fun of him because he's right. dressed up uh, in clothing that the drags have dressed him in, and mm -hmm. he's not—he's not just like a wild uh, ohm or a wild human. Uh, he's been kind of domesticated by the drags, so they're making fun of his clothes. They don't believe what he's saying, so they challenge him to battle. So. Mm. How he battles is they attach these creatures onto your stomach where they have jaws in the front protruding and they make you fight. So you're pretty much tied up and you have to let the creature that's on your stomach fight for you. And he ends up winning the battle and the tribe accepts him. Mm -hmm. Now, over time, uh, he starts teaching the tribe... Um, different things one of the parts that stuck out to me the most was when uh, when he first gets there uh when they're first laughing at him for his garments uh there's these boxes and one of the uh the tribesmen is laughing at him so hard he keeps banging against this box and tear who can read uh track language he can read what's on the box and he tells him don't touch that that's a trap and the guy just doesn't listen to him at all. He just keeps banging on it. And the right. box just swallows him whole. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. Like, when I, was, I remember first watching that, I was like, dang. Like, <laughs> that right. that sucks. They have a bunch of traps set out for him, almost like insects. They have a bunch of little right. traps set out. Um, the traps consist of boxes swallowing them whole. Uh, some of them, they release, like, magnetic powder. Some of them mm -hmm. are poison. So they really value that he can read these boxes and they start organizing them um, and putting them aside, you know, and they start figuring out which ones are the good ones to keep for like supplies, which ones are the bad ones. And eventually he, he goes off to go warn a neighboring tribe because he sees at this park that they've kind of infestated or chose to live depending mm -hmm. on what 
uh, perspective or perspective you want to view it from. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tries to warn this other tribe, which his original tribe warned him about calling them savages and stuff. Don't even try to negotiate with them. He tries right. to warn them that he read something on the outside wall of the park that says they're about to be poisoned and uh, they're about to do an extermination in the park. So he tries to tell them they don't listen to him. They tie him up, they throw him in and sure enough, they start bombarding the park with poison. They throw all types of gadgets in the park. I mean, kind of like how we would exterminate insects, you know, in a yard or something. Right. So they, they escape, they, they free him, and they run to escape, and they finally uh, they start listening to him. Not everybody escapes. So when they get on the outside of the park, uh, two trags, they're like in their teenage, you can tell they're still pretty young, but they're mm-hmm. not kids. They're walking by, and they're happy that they're exterminating the park. And they look down, and they see all the ones that escaped, all the ohm slash humans that escaped. And they start calling them um, pests, and they start stepping on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of a lot of humans <laughs> die in this in this film. But they right. start stepping on them and crushing them. So the humans start to revolt, and they start throwing their little grappling hooks and pull down one of them because there's only two, and they kill mm-hmm. them. And the yeah. other one just runs away in fear. So they manage to kill them and keep going. And it's it's kind of like. I would run away too. I mean, imagine that. Imagine being on the other side of the fence and you were a drag and you saw these little miniature creatures just attack and kill your friend. Like, right. You'd react right. the same way. You'd be like, I need to get help. But a swarm um, of bees or ants just start like piling on you. It's like, ah, I don't want to yeah. get that, you know. Yeah. So, so what happens is. This gets brought up to the council. From the very beginning, the council was already questioning on how smart these human ohms are. They, you know, they kind of prophesized that these these beings are more intelligent than you know they're making them out to be. And that's another thing I skipped over. The drags are very smart, but they really kind of um, underrate how smart the uh, the human slash ohms are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they they study they do a really complex form of meditation. Um, they have very sophisticated technology, but they still manage to underestimate the humans. Right. Um, so what happens is after that happens, the humans they go off and they find an abandoned rocket depot from the drags, and they use the technology they learned from the headband that Terra stole. See this. This is what I'm talking about. This headband teaches them everything. It right. teaches you ro- rocket technology at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right, right. So they build like multiple rockets. They build like two. By the time that they're finished and they're about to launch, the drags are on to that location. They start uh, de-omanizing, is what they call it, uh, to where they're pretty much creating genocide on that area. Um, the rockets take off and they land on. The moon, also known as the Fantastic Planet. They think they can find salvation there. But -hmm. when they land there, they find these giant headless statues on the planet. And these planets, or statues, are part of the meditation ritual that the drags use. So what the drags, they find out that the drags have been meditating 
orbs, their actual spiritual orbs, go up into orbit to this planet and land on the missing headpiece of the statues. And it's a almost like an intergalactic mating ritual with other alien species. And this is right. how they preserve their population. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the ohms see these giant statues dancing around and in fear of them stepping on their ship, they use their lasers and it breaks up the statues and the statues mm-hmm. fall. And what happens is since these people are in meditation, the drags, they start, uh, they can't snap out of it. And some of them go blind because they were in a deep meditation state. And then the statue right. that was bonding their meditative state gets destroyed so a lot of them are freaking out and fearing for their um, for their lives and uh, their civilization in general. Um, so what happens is they make an agreement finally with with the humans, the ohms, and they create their own planet and mm. for them to live on, and they call it Tear, the mm. the protagonist of the story. They name it after him to peacefully coincide with the ohms, the humans, the drags finally make a peace agreement to coincide with them and not treat them just as pests and, um, and, uh, pets. Right. So it's a really good movie. I mean, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of elements. Um, I mean, even some of the creatures in the movie, I really like, um, I mean, we'll go into it a little bit, but yeah, there's going to be a lot that we'll probably leave out just because of how long it would take. This movie's like an hour and a half, I think. It's really not that long. Maybe it's just shy over an hour, but there's just so much in that hour that it's it's us talking about it for an hour or two is not even going to scratch the surface of how much content is in this film. Right, right. And I did my best on trying to summarize the movie. I know I, <laughs> no, you're I, good. I know I you're good. Of... I know I skipped a couple parts, but I mean that's good. the main. The main. Well, right, right, and and I do want to start exploring a little bit of it, um, because there was a lot of research that I actually did for this film. Um, I wanted to say that um, in French, this film, uh, to back up a little bit, it, and I don't speak French, so forgive my mispronunciation, but it's called. La Planète des Sauvages, Sauvage, um, which translates literally to the Savage Planet. So that's why they call it the Wild Planet. And obviously, when they translated it into English, they didn't keep it as Savage Planet. They called it Fantastic Planet for some reason. I'm imagining that Sauvage may be on par with words like awesome or wonderful in their traditional senses. To where, like, when something's awesome, it's not, like, cool. It means, like, you're you're in awe, you're dumbstruck. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering if it's more in that kind of sense that it's named such. Um, but I couldn't find any concrete evidence to back up my theory. That's a good theory, though. Yeah. This film was supposed to be called On the Planet uh, Yagam initially. Um, Yagam. But- is how you pronounce it. I said Yam, but Yaga. Right. And so that was the working title, but again, they changed it to Fantastic Planet or Savage Planet. The you mentioned the soundtrack briefly, and I'm just going in chronological order of what I what I uh 
researched, but the uh, so I may be recapping a little bit. But the soundtrack it released on vinyl when the movie came out and sold out, and then later it was released on LPs and CDs. Recently, I'm not sure if it was released digitally. Uh, I didn't get a chance to look up and see, um, but I would like to listen to it. Um, in its entirety. And as you mentioned, other artists, uh, like who was the artist again that you, you found used the music track, the, the famous music track? Um, so I, I did not know how big of an influence this soundtrack was to mm-hmm. hip-hop artists in general. The mm-hmm. artist I, I talked to you about was Big Pun. You know, he passed mm-hmm. away a while back. But other people that have uh, covered... Uh, this or use the instrumental in their uh, their songs are the late Mac Miller, Denzel mm-hmm. Curry. I mean, uh, Run the Jewels, <laughs> just mm-hmm. really good good artists. Um, I, I just think it's really interesting how so many people relate, and I wonder if it's just because of the music or is it because of the message that the movie is throwing in? You know, maybe maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's a combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I read a little bit about um, this film's influence in music, but I didn't really do too much digging on that. You know, you know me, I was doing more of the, the film <laughs> background and all oh. that. Um, no, I, I do actually have, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. I do actually, maybe it was their IMDb page. Give me a second. I think it was the... Uh, box office i th- I thought it was funny when i was doing some of the research for this um whenever i would type in fantastic it's like oh fantastic beasts i'm like no <laughs> like you don't know how many times i would get that suggested for you fantastic beasts i'm like no <laughs> but so fantastic planet on the imdb page here yes so U.S. gross, and I don't know where they have this cited. Like it's on their IMDb page, so it's their fault if it's wrong. <laughs> I'm just regurgitating what they have here. But it says the gross U.S. and Canada box office was only a hundred ninety-three thousand dollars. Wow. So I don't know what the budget was, but that's what their return. So- on this. So wait, 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 let me look into this. So how much did they? Uh... One hundred ninety three. One hundred ninety three. Almost one hundred ninety four. Let me see if I can find out real quick. Uh... Hmm. You looked this up on IMDb. Well, yeah, it's it's their return, um, their box office return. It was just almost one hundred ninety four, one ninety three, uh, one ninety three point eight. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't tell you how much they spent on the film. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm sure there might be information, but here's the thing is that a lot of, as you mentioned a little bit before, a lot of the English adaption and English things about this film, because it was so not popular, it just came and went and nobody knew, and nobody got into it until much later. Correct, and it took a long time to find an audience following over the years based on the film's uniqueness at the time. I think it's a combination of right. the year when it came out, that type of art form. Uh, just, 
it just mm -hmm. being just such a unique art form altogether. It's it's just interesting. It finally found, you know, a fan base years and years later. Oh yeah. Well, I was gonna bring up the book. Uh, you mentioned it um, very briefly earlier. Um, the book, I don't know if you know this, was actually translated once into English. Um, oh, and that wow. was maybe uh, I think it was like 2006. I may have it written down here. Um, give me a second. Let me verify. It's at the bottom of my notes. I think it's interesting. The uh, comic you were talking about it has the same name as a novel. So I wonder if it's based off. Right. Well, let me finish about the book real quick, and then I'll uh, bring up the comic because there is a lot that I wanna, I, I wanna show you and tell you about it. Um, but I do want to say I, I'd have to find the year. I think it was 2006, but I'm terrible at spitballing year like numbers, so I'm probably incorrect. But when it came out, the company uh, apparently read it says this. I don't know, again, how accurate this is, but the it only had one run. This I know for sure, is that it only had a short run, a small run of the English translations, and that was it. These books, I did try to look for the English versions. They are sold out everywhere. eBay, Amazon, small book dealers, everywhere. So if you find one, it's probably worth a pretty penny. And I probably shouldn't say that <laughs> since I want a copy of this. But it's extremely rare, this book. Because apparently, again, Reddit says this. So, And I will put a link to this so you can go and look for yourselves. But they say that the company that made the book went into legal trouble. And they uh, had fraud claims. So the the company filed for bankruptcy uh, right after the book was published. So that's why it had a short English run. And they said, too, that, uh, again, rumor, um, but the English translation is very poor. Uh, when books get English translated, they typically will have somebody who either translates the book and then hands it off to a, um author that could reweave the story in an engaging way and not translate it literally, or that translate that author who also knows how to translate will copy it over but take some liberties. So, so you get. Mm -hmm. So I do have something to put into that. I, I sure. did read something about this to where there was a mix up with uh, translation for mm -hmm. English. Because it was a French, you know, it's based on a French novel, but right. it had Czechoslovakian, like you said, um, uh, production thrown in as well. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of different, like, for instance, uh, we're saying uh, Tiwa, right. uh, the owner, they actually pronounced it Tiva in the, mm -hmm. in the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, her name is pronounced Tiva. And I think the V is actually the proper way to pronounce it instead of Tiwa. It's pronounced Tiva. Mm. Uh, little things like that. I could see how there'd be like uh, issues with the English translation. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to get my hands on this book, but it's incredibly difficult. So, yeah, if you're at Goodwill or <laughs> Half Price Books or something, it's like, take a look. You might find this book. I'll keep my eye out. 
Yeah, I am too. I'm now gonna. That's gonna be something that I look for whenever I read a lot of books. Um, and so when I go to Goodwill or something, estate sale or something, you know, keep an eye out for that. Um, let me see if I can show you these pictures without it interrupting our chat here. Let's find out. Like I, I showed you, that was the comic, right? So someone on eBay was selling the comic, and I think the comic's in French as well. Um, but like I said, it was released with um, in a modern comic book style. So it's very strange, and I honestly like it better. It was in three different volumes, the story. Um, and so it goes beyond like the, the novels um, that you mentioned that this whole story is based on. Apparently, Fantastic Planet is only about the first book. And so there's two other books of Terror's life because Terror is not an old man. Like, it stops when he's about, I, I don't know, I would say 20s, maybe 30s, right? But the story goes all the way to his death, the books. Um, but let me send these to you. Are you there? Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm I'm looking at them too now. Okay, I just sent you a whole menagerie of pictures, so hopefully it didn't cut it off. I didn't know what it was doing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I and I'll post I guess links to these pictures or no, it'll I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I'll upload these pictures as is, and maybe I'll put a link to them as well. But so the one with the orange alien, I, I'm not sure if that's if that's the the drags or if that's a different race. But those people, that's the second book. And so then you see the one with the old man. That is terror as an old man, which is very strange. Like that's his whole life. Because you can see in the first one, he's a, a young boy. And the second one, he's like an adult. Third one, he's an old man. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. Interesting. And so I know I didn't really crop these pictures well, but if you look at the eBay listing, like it's very, it's strange, but um, it captures like, you're like, okay, th it's this part of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. It would be something I definitely would like to check out. Like I said, it's probably not going to be in English, but it would be cool just to have and just to be like, huh. You know, as a fan of the 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 film or the series, you know what I mean. It's not like we're going to read the book anytime soon. Um, it'd be great if someone put out a PDF of the story and just made it public domain, because then at that point, or put it out there um, so that people could read it, at least the uh, the book series, because it's not like we're gonna get an English version anytime soon. Man, uh, I do have a. Uh question like on throughout the whole movie like what are some of your favorite uh parts i mean right off the bat uh two of mine that are really cool i think are mm -hmm. the meditation the very first time tear sees the elders meditating and yes. i think that's a yes. lot of people's favorite scene because it was so trippy it was so weird right and it's like right. near the beginning of the movie, so you're like, okay, I'm in for a very trippy movie experience. Right, <laughs> right. Oops, uh, didn't mean to hit my mic there. <laughs> no, it's fine. I like that one, and mm -hmm. the other one that I really liked was, oh, man, there's so many good scenes. Um, 
I, I want to hear what you say. I, w- I want to hear wh- which other scene you like. Cause it's probably the same one. Well, I wanted to add to what you just said, and I'm trying to look for it here in my notes. So that scene alone has so much commentary just because uh, it's kind of like what we talked about, you know, the drags are essentially, you know, we're the dominant species um, and the drags are the dominant species of their planet. To uh, recap real quick, the film says that they bring the ohms from the wild planet initially. And so I think there was an issue a long time ago with how they were had the, the statues and all that. And so they brought the ohms to their planet to live. So that, that way they depopulate the wild planet and are able to procreate, I guess, in peace. Because it is their home planet. Um, I want to say like the old woman from the Bush Bandits, she says, I think that they came from the wild planet or that they're going back to the wild planet. And it could just be mispronounced or uh, mistranslation, but I'm pretty sure it says those specific words, like they go back to the planet or they reclaim the planet. So at that point, it's like it was obviously their planet to begin with. Oh, you know do, what I mean? Do you think that's more of, because uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, it, I'm not, going off topic here but do you think that's more of a uh you know how like uh religion like some people are like you know we're going back to the homeland and they're talking about heaven and stuff like that like do you think they've actually been to that planet because i've always kind of thought like they threw in a little bit of uh spirituality into you know the ohms believable or their beliefs in um I mean, for instance, you can almost look like or look at uh, Terror as a uh, mm-hmm. a Jesus. Messiah. Yeah, it's like a yep. Jesus like yep. figure coming in with knowledge. Yep. There's a lot of religious iconography. Uh, I mean, not to get too sidetracked, sidetracked. Uh, um, yeah, but my, my main they... my main question was just like, you know, do you really think they've been to that planet, or you think? They're saying, like, we need to return and reclaim our home, and they've never been there. (laughs) That's honestly what I think, because, um, I mean, I'd have to go through my notes again, but I'm pretty sure it distinctly says that they were from the planet. Ah. I will have to look and or give you my notes so that you can also check them out and see, because I went through the film and I didn't go frame by frame, but I did pause it. Uh, it took me like a week <laughs> to go through this film because I was pausing it every couple minutes and just like jotting things down. Honest, or Honestly, I... that would mm-hmm. kind of make sense that they came from that planet because remember they were going there for like mating rituals and stuff, but that seems like that's their main source of interacting with things in the other universes. So maybe they originally arrived on that planet, you know, the fantastic planet, and then we're brought to the main home world. Right, because I, uh, I think one of the members of the console says, because uh, they do, um, just to for more context, they have this council that they have of five different drags, and Sin, who, uh, S-I-N-H, who is Tiwa's father, he is on the panel, right? And so he's kind of like the voice of reason, and he's the reason why they eventually do have peace with the Oms. 
And it's interesting, too, because later on in the film, they actually call that like something like the Sin Treaty or the Sin Era. I think it's the Sin Era. Um, that peace was obtained during the Sin Era. So that goes down into history. He goes down in history as being the voice of reason because he calls for peace in the film. However, there's that one dra uh, drag that is always violent and antagonistic. And I want to say that he, we don't ever find out his name, but we, I want to say that he says we brought the Oms to our planet to have them as pets and how dare they rise against us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I think you're right now. So, something like that. But I wanted to go back to um, your point, though, when you were talking about your favorite scene. Just so we don't oh. deviate too much, we we come back on oh, our... Oh, yeah, yeah. I sure, have sure. one... No, 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 I, mm -hmm. I understand. No, no, uh, no, bad. you're good. Um, I do have another... Another favorite scene, just like... I don't know why, it was just so pleasing to me when I first mm -hmm. watched it was the scene, it was like, I don't know if this was a seasonal period on their planet, but diamonds yes. just started, just crystals. They started coming out of the woodworks and just started infesting things on the ground and just taking over them, just building up and covering them completely. Right. And then there's a part where it actually started covering up Tear. And then uh, Tiva shows Tear that all you have to do is whistle and all the crystals start breaking. And I don't know why, but that scene so soothing <laughs> for me to watch and i was like because you know, the sound effects of the crystals building up on each other and knowing that you could just break them by right. whistling i just thought that was really right cool yeah i would say that that's one of my favorite scenes actually um just because it's so strange but at the same time it's kind of what we do to like dogs. If it's snowing, we take the dogs out and they they act real weird. They hop around. They try to catch snowflakes. You know what I mean? Like they don't know how to react to that weather. And they're like, oh, this is new. This is strange. You know what I mean? Um, while we don't directly show the dogs how to behave in that weather, it's just, I mean, that would be the closest relation, I would think, to some kind of na uh, natural changing weather environment that we have our subjugated gotcha. animals in, participate in with us. You know what I mean? It's like something natural occurring on their planet right. that humans are something that's uh, some other species finds abnormal right. and just thinks it's right. weird. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I found out that in that, the they call it crystalline, like something like it becomes crystalline um, because they actually talk about it a few scenes earlier on Tiwa's, um, like, learning device, they actually mention that uh, the crystalline season, they say that. Oh. So it's interesting, because if you watch, like, watch it with a careful eye, you'll see that they mentioned it, and then maybe 20 minutes yeah. later, they show that. So uh, it's really... See, mm -hmm. I, I knew there were some things, like, I knew, like, some of the main things in the movie, like, rewatching it, mm -hmm that I should have paid attention to was what they were saying on those devices. Mm. I knew they were going to reveal <laughs> some, some secrets to the movie. Right. And what's interesting. So, uh, let me mention a little bit about those devices. Um, at least again, this is IMDB. So someone wrote this, I don't know their credibility, but, um, basically a lot of the, like they, they talk about Uvas. They're like, this planet has, Three lakhs, L-A-I-K-S, lakhs, and, and four uvas or something like that. 
Um, and they use a lot of words that aren't real for measurement and things like that. But it sounds convincing. You know what I mean? Like the, the way that they go about naming things or educating. It sounds like a science book they're reading from while these measurements do not actually exist. You know what I mean? And I, I can see, like, because we've had listening devices like that. Like, not like that, but, you know, it, it reminds me of, like, when you put on your headphones. Right, and right. You're trying to take an educational learning lesson. Right. I wanted to go back to your your previous, your other scene that you mentioned um, with the meditating. Um, because I actually, I, I want to say that that scene, and again, I, I really haven't mentioned my my favorite scenes yet, but I, I wanted to talk about that scene because that scene probably is the scene that I had the most, and forgive me if you hear any noise, I'm setting up my phone here so I can read from it. That scene has so much commentary. and It's just crazy how much commentary that scene has. I was writing... Let's see, it says, these drags may be the ones that were from the console, because uh, we see four. And like I mentioned before, the console had five. So I'm not sure who these other drags are. We know that one is Sin, but we're not sure who the other ones are. And uh, that scene is actually called the imagination scene, because Sin says that uh, the imagination was very colorful, I think. Very, uh, let's see, I wrote it down was so rich the imagination was so rich today he says so it's it's strange like so they imagine but they also meditate so they're very ethereal astral projection-y kind of beings that escape their physical bodies and go and do other things you know what i mean they go to another planet to procreate you know what i mean these are very uh ethereal beings you know what i mean they're they're if, you know, the concept of the soul, it's like they're one with the soul or able to eject the soul from their body, the spirit, and go other places. You know what I mean? I would say that that's the closest thing to their meditating orbs that we could comprehend. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, I don't know if they're shapeshifters either. They man. may be. You remember the scene? You remember the scene where... Tiva is like cradling yep. Terror yep. and like her body wraps up like a, like a snake. See, scenes like that, I was thinking about it. And again, if you relate it, a lot of this movie, it's interesting to watch it and then watch it from your pet's perspective. You know what I mean? That's something that I did um, several times through uh, like... Different. I I watched it from different perspectives uh, since I've seen it four times. Um, Wait, so... Mm-hmm. So, uh, not to cut sure. you off, but do you mean, because I brought this up to uh, my girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, okay, uh, one thing I did take from this movie, it's like, you know, you, you see these beings, you're like, wow, they're so weird and stuff, but it's like, okay, our, our pets, when they're looking like, for instance, our cats or anything, or our dogs, mm-hmm. if they see us doing some of the things, you know, like from cooking to, you yep. know, uh, meditating yep. or anything, yep. they like what the heck is going on yep. <laughs> yes uh actually if you notice so in there's a scene where the drags are eating and they're like sucking on this cloud like they suck in and a bunch of like parts of the cloud come in into their mouth right and they swallow these parts of this like cloud it looks like a cloud or like a a really wriggly like a like a 
burn like a bush, you know what I mean? And it just like waves back and forth and they just suck on it, right? Uh, but they're not like sucking on it like with their lips pressed to it. Their their lips are far away. Kind of like how my, my lips aren't touching this microphone as I'm talking to you, you know what I mean? So it would be like if, if I'm sucking in and some of this cloud comes from this microphone into my mouth kind of thing. And so it's like we think that's weird. But then again, don't you think animals think it's weird that we take food out of this cold box and we put it on this hot box? You know what I mean? Like why do we take this the food from one thing, like from one box, and we put it in another box? And then when we're done... You know, we, we make the food and there's smells and things. We put it in these circular containers on this hot box. You know what I mean? And then we take that food and after we eat it, we put it in other boxes to put back in the cold box. You know what I'm saying? We like boxes, apparently. You know, uh, and obviously I'm talking about refrigerator, microwave, you know, Tupperware. You know, but to animals, they see these things, these acts, these behaviors as strange. So if you've had your pet fall asleep with you, I'm sure with you doing some kind of sleep um, behavior, it would be strange to the pet. You know what I mean? So yes, in a sense, I, I could say, and I, I, I would agree with you that to a degree, maybe they do shift. Because again, the scene like you were talking about could be a shape-shifting scene. Um, it could also be an ethereal kind of spiritual scene. Um, and I can, I'll get more into my, my breakdown in a minute, but I also don't want to spend too much time on it because it's extremely thorough. I probably should just upload my notes. No. Do you mean like do you mean like how Tara probably could just be perceiving this because this is her way of just getting comfortable and right. she's not shifting at right. all? So it could just be gotcha. that that's what it looks like to tear. We don't know as viewers which perspective things are from. You know what I mean? That's what I find interesting the most. Because, you know, as much as we want to relate to the humans, we end up identifying, you know, not on purpose, more to uh, the alien species. Um, you know, right. only because, you know, everything else the the ohms the humans are considered as pests on this planet so we you know uh what's the word like indistinctly or the word you kind of Indi indistinguishable yeah it's indistinguishable but you're you're not really trying to but you you know you kind of compare mm -hmm. yourself to this alien being you know even though you mm -hmm. know you're nothing like them but it's kind of hard not to uh, right, right. And, and that's what I wanted to say before. So like before you kind of use the word om and human interchangeably, but those are actually very different. Like, so this film, like I said about the oms coming from the wild planet, these actually are not humans. You know what I mean? Uh, they look like humans. They have physical characteristics and do very human things. They can learn. And it's strange, too. I mean, they they may... I'm actually not sure. They might be humans, but they say... The reason I, I thought they were humans because it says that this takes place in the future. But I, I just thought about that now since you're raising well, that question. They might not even be humans. They just might be human-like. Well, here's the thing, though, too, is that you could argue that the, the wild planet that they got them from was Earth. You know what I mean? 
So in that sense, you could say that that's true, that they're going back to the wild planet, but that's not actually their home planet. You know what I'm saying? Like, from a different wild planet. You know what I mean? They never say what's in their solar system. They just talk about there's one planet and another planet that revolves around that planet. And that's all that we know about their solar system, their galaxy. You know what I mean? They did say that they have rockets. You know what I mean? And so they could have interplanetary transport, um, but we don't know any of that. We know that they discovered this planet to be used for mating rituals, and obviously someone had to make those statues. You know what I mean? Well, well, what makes me think another thing, and because there's a very crucial mm-hmm. scene to where they're during during their meeting. Can you hear me? Yes. During their meeting, uh, mm-hmm. remember how they have their little town hall meeting, and they're you know are it's like four of them debating, five of them debating. Right. Um. They bring up that there are remnants yes, that that's you know the ohms right, are smarter, right. and that you can see railroads, mm-hmm. you see a car. Mm-hmm. So that's what leads me to believe that these are humans in the future that have been taken from the right. Home yes, world. and it shows books. It shows like theater masks. So there's culture. So the savage race, as they dubbed them, they were at some point civilized. So that might be like to kind of retcon what I was saying before. That could be it because here's the the thing. So om, it's spelled O-M, it comes from the French word for man, which is, uh, again, I don't speak French, so forgive me, but it's hum or homme, I don't, H-O-M-M-E, right? And so it basically means it, like they look human and they use the same, it's a play on the word for, uh, it might be pronounced just om, but it's a play on the word um, for man, essentially. Homo sapien? No, like, well, some, maybe, but it, it's something similar to that. Um, and tear, here's another thing that justifies this. Tear comes Terra. from Terra. Terra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, gotcha. the French word for earth. You know, Mm -hmm. so it would make sense that they are from Earth and that they were brought to this planet and they go to find their own space because they create a planet called Terre. So that's the thing that's weird because it comes full circle and essentially they create planet Earth. But then you could also say that this could be what the past of the human race and that Earth was actually like Earth became Earth from them building this artificial planet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's very hard to interpret like where in the timeline is is this movie taking place? You know, is it even our timeline? You know what I mean? But I will, like I said, I will post my notes just because there's so much, just so much. There, mm-hmm. there was something theorized too that they uh, are speculated that the uh, the Ohm civilization, uh, in the past, it had annihilated itself. Mm. So I, I wonder if it is Earth they're speaking of. I wonder if that was due to you know nuclear war or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But they never they never clarify. Right, and that's entirely possible too. We're never, it never explicitly says. So it's like that could be it too. 
Um, I honestly think we would have more context with the books. Um, but again, they've never been translated into English. So it's one of those things that it's like, if we had that, we could glean from some more some more understanding. But for us English speakers, it's just going to be anything secondhand. Somebody that's something that somebody read and regurgitated and may not be one to one. You know, they have a memory of reading the story and retold it, but it's not quite accurate. You know, the details aren't there, so it's not as specific as um, it could be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So what what topic are you moving on to now? Because I have one more scene I would like to talk about just to hear sure, your opinion. Sure, because... sure. No, that's fine. I'm I'm basically letting you lead this whole thing since uh, you're the expert on this. I just did a lot of digging, so I wanted to just chime in. But I mean, like I said, you know, you turned me on to this film, not the other way around. <laughs> so this is all you, well, man. <laughs> You had some good points already, though, mm-hmm. that I didn't even think of. Mm-hmm. So one of the scenes I found really interesting, but I never fully understood, sure. was the ohm mating ritual. Oh, it's at mm-hmm. night. They're all glowing. I, I never fully understood what was going on. I know it's a mating ritual, yes. of course, yes. but I didn't. I didn't understand why are they glowing? What, is this a way for the animators to kind of show? You know, them getting paired and going off in their own wilderness, you know, just kind of like a cop out type of way, just so they can show just like two white dots going off to mate instead of actually showing the physical mating process. They could. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. well, I actually like I said, I actually a lot of these major scenes I broke down, dissected, went back and forth. I some of them I rewound and uh would watch that scene all over again and try to reinterpret it. So let me just read from my notes because there is a lot in this um, this scene alone. I would say that this is probably one of my favorite scenes just because there's so much that you could get from this scene. Just so much happens. So uh, Tear wakes up and he sees a ritual going on. Like So essentially he this is when he's in the tree um cuz the people that he befriends they're they're the tree dwellers they live in a i think it's is it a dead tree or is it a tree living i don't i don't remember i think the bush is dead yes but the tree is alive the bush bandits <laughs> but so he wakes up and if you notice when he wakes up a lot of the alms that are also sleeping before they show him waking up they're much older and so I thought this was like a younger, like we, we said, it's a mating ritual kind of scene. I thought they were younger, but then some of, when we actually do see the alms that are participating, some of them do vary in age. So I'm not entirely sure what qualifies you to be part of this ritual and what doesn't. The, the film doesn't explicitly say. But so there are a line of alms, a like a, an S-shaped squiggly line of alms, that are walking in a line, uh, and they approach what looks like a drag skull. It looks like the head of a drag, or it could be like a toy or some kind of cement, uh, or like a like a replica of a head. You know what I mean? But it's about the size of an arm's head, so it might be a skull. But what would kill an arm? You know what I mean? Or uh, uh, what would kill a drag? I'm sorry. It looks like a drag 
skull. What would kill a drag? Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, that's another interesting thing. They're walking down off this giant skull, right? And it a hundred percent looks like a drag skull, right? And there's these steps that are chiseled into um, the drag skull, because uh, essentially there's a the leader of the tree people. He is on the very top, and he has this like fabric that he is holding with two hands stretched out. And there's these glowing rocks that, um, these glowing circles, orbs, these these circular objects, right? They're they're like rock shape, right? And so people are walking up, and they take one and they eat one, and as they walk down, they start glowing, like you mentioned. I liken this to communion, um, with the skull being the mountain in which Jesus died on. Uh, that mountain is called Golgotha, which is Aramaic for skull. So that to me makes all makes sense because the communion is recognizing, uh, you know, in, in the Bible, it talks, it says that the blood, the, the wine is the blood, the, the, the grape that's, that's blood. And then the, the cracker is Jesus's body, the bread, you know what I mean? So it, specifically in Catholicism, or sometimes other religions do this, they use round wafers. And so those are circular, just like these rocks. So when they take the communion, when they eat these rocks, they start glowing. They receive life, um, the light that possesses them. You know, essentially it's an edible. The alms take these edibles, like I said, that are circular. They approach under the veil of darkness and they leave filled with light. Kind of the, the emphasis of communion. Um, so enlightenment. Right. Something like that. That, like I said, is the end of my allusion to the Christian communion. Because after receiving these edibles, the alms, after all of them do, they strip naked. The females run off and then the males pursue them. Uh, to find a partner, the music becomes all sexy, like there's saxophone, it's romantic sounding, and it obviously it's insinuates procreation. It This scene specifically reminded me a lot of Ferngully, actually, the animated film, um, because the fairies that were in the tree, there's a scene in Ferngully where the fairies are glowing inside of a tree, and it, it just really reminded me of that. I'm not sure, like... I don't think Ferngully had that, like, it was portraying it in a sexual way. But, I mean, obviously this was. Um, it just reminded me a lot of that. But, yeah, so that's the end of my notes for this scene. But I just thought that there was just so much to break down. That scene that we mentioned before is actually the longest um, scene that I have. Just so much that I, I tore apart. But I just tried to see things not... As I mean, with film and taking film classes, that's what we're taught to do. You don't just see things as they are. You see what the meaning is or what are they trying to talk about? You know what I mean? Essentially, too, yeah, it... you could say that these uh, not to not to cut you off, but just real quick, like these beings who are um, more savage they have a faith or they have, it could be a knock on religion. It could be saying that, you know, people who are intelligent and scientific, sophisticated, like the drags, they have all this advanced technology. They do actually have a godlike fig, godlike figure, which is the great Zarek, 
I think his name is. I wrote it down somewhere, but um, they do have a godlike figure, um, and that's why they meditate. However, this could also be a, a thing saying that this is the religion of these alms, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or something that stayed with the, the race um, when they were brought over. Yeah, and I think, personally, that's a very good interpretation. I think it's 100% a spiritual uh, congregation of what they're right. doing. Um, it's a spiritual mating ritual, mm-hmm. and it doesn't go too much into detail for obvious reasons. They don't want to get too technical and you know have some other... You know what I mean? Some some negative opinion about it or something. They they make it for what it is, and I think the points that you brought up about it, uh, I I agree. I, I think that's a hundred percent what it is. And there's many points that kind of factor towards that as well. The, one of the main ones is that they're on top of a giant drag head that's right. dead, right? <laughs> like a right. skull, and and then they're they're taking these these unidentifiable items that make them right. glow. That's... And run off like, like almost pixies right. in the night, you know. Like that's why I just so. in my notes I referred to them as edibles because <laughs> I was like, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then civilizations have done that right. in the past. You know, they'll take mud right, right. and stuff. I actually found my notes about the great Zarek, so I actually did want to write or uh, read about this real quick. The drag, uh, we learned this from the learning device. The it says that we learn some of the creation of the drag world as they say that the great Zarek, 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 I don't know, um, created civilization and animates a ball that flies around. They say that Zarek told the drags how to win against some invaders that invaded their planet, and in response and uh, and memory to the great Zarek. The drags now meditate. They also say that Zarek is immortal and appears in many forms, so he is essentially their creator god, because it says earlier that he founded some kind of great organization, civilization, something like that. He created a civilization, uh, or like maybe a primitive civilization that the drags came from. So it's just interesting that, again, we don't have a whole lot of context since we don't have the, the yeah. books. It- this is what we, we could get. But I think you brought up a good point, though. I mean, they would have some type of faith. I mean, any civilization that's suffering, especially like, you know, theirs, they're going to come up with some type of faith to keep them going. And I think that's a very good. The alms or the drags? The alms. And then that's mm-hmm. a very good interpretation for them to uh, to believe in something else. You know what I mean? For them. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And then Terror being this messianic, I think that's the word, messiah character, yeah. you know, because he has the knowledge. He has something that the rest of the alms don't have. And he shows them his way, and they accept his way eventually, and then their civilization is advanced because they accepted his way. You could very much say that, and he didn't participate. We never see Terror participate in the mating ritual. So it's like, why wouldn't he participate if he, again, he's this religious figure. So it makes sense that he doesn't need to participate. You know what I mean? I always thought he uh, might have participated with uh, that one female follower that's been helping him. Yeah, I, I would have thought that, but we never explicitly see that. They're, they're close throughout the whole film. 
but the thing is, is that I want to say I see her, but they don't ever like like during the the ritual. But here's the thing too, like we never see Tara and her together in that kind of way. But it's it's strange because we also don't see any Oms that are pregnant, so we don't un, like. There's no way that we know how they have these children. They do have children. They have babies that look like us. Like they look like human babies, but we never see them pregnant. Like when that scene, uh, and I love this creature sound. That creature with the long nose that flies around that they kill with the, the yeah. grappling hooks. With the, the bat wings for, like, ears, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so this is another topic, man. The creatures in this movie, the, the beasts, or however you want to talk yes. about them, they yes. are really mm. well uh, animated and very, like, you could almost, like, uh, for a animated cartoon from 1973, <laughs> you could almost see these things existing on this type of planet. Yeah, it, it's really crazy how, like... They will have random scenes with some of oh, these yeah. creatures. Like it's, it's, it's really interesting because we we know we see the weather. Not to cut you off, but we see the weather. We see these creatures, other things that inhabit and take place in this world. Not just the species that are the dominant species. You know what well, I mean? Well, there's two in particular that really give me the one where, uh, one of the eggs just hatches and it's like a little cute little lizard looking thing and this like mm-hmm. pig looking thing two legged pig looking thing walks up to it mm-hmm. licks it licks it like it's friendly and then just eats it <laughs> right right and i'm like oh man that's that's nature right there for you and then yep. another scene is where it looks like this like weird creature in a cage it has yes. a branch sticking out and something lands on it or, or, or something hits it and it grabs it throws it around and just throws it on the ground. And it's and like, it laughs. Yeah. And then it laughs. And I'm like, man, that's a cruel planet. Yeah. Uh, well then we also see too, like, so if you look up the movie on HBO max, it will show a weird, like, I think it's a quadruped, a four legged creature. Um, and it's strange. Cause it looks like a, like a drill or something like that. It has a long tail and a bunch of eyeballs on top. And uh, uh, Terror and his his lady friend, they walk by it with the the learning device, and it's it it just like walks around. And it's interesting too. Like there's just so much like even vegetation, like uh, the meditation um, scene that you mentioned before. Um, when they do meditate before they start or the imagination scene, when they start to do the imagination, there are these, they're like, it's hard to describe, but like hair, like they're multi phalange, multi ended hairs that wiggle from the either wall and the ceiling and they wiggle and then, then the imagination commences. But there's other things like that. Like there's, um, uh, there's like whipping like plants, I guess there are these like black symbol things that close. Um, and they reminded me of, I think they're called the munchers from super Mario world. Uh, I think it's super Mario, super Mario three. There's these black little, symbol looking creatures that just close and then they slowly open so we see a lot of if they're plant life or if they're animals that don't hunt but they just kind of like live off of the environment there's just a lot that we see a lot of this planet's beastiary i guess you could say 
Man, that would be so interesting to have a movie like this, like, <laughs> done right. You know, like, like I'm going back to what I previously stated. Like, I think it'd be very hard um, right. to live up to this movie, uh, the, ex- uh, the expectation, considering that this was using a completely new animation style and it was kind of mm, ground- mm-hmm. groundbreaking for its time. But imagine making, like, a very well-done you know, artistic rendering of this film. I, I think it can be done, but you just have to do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would love to see more of this franchise. I just wish it would really get its time to shine. And I think it would get to a point to where it's it's popular enough. It's yeah. It's got that appeal. It's just, it's it needs to it's got that cult following like you mentioned it just needs to hit the mainstream i mean it's been 50 years man <laughs> yeah and i mean you know like things come back you know yeah yeah that's, so, that's for sure uh but yeah man it's it's a really good movie and i do recommend people check it out um, at least once. Don't watch it four times. Like I, you don't have to do that. I mean, it is good. It's a good movie. It's worth watching four times, just maybe over the course of your life. Yeah, I, I recommend <laughs> watching it once. Definitely yeah. give it a shot. And if you have any opinions on your own, um, mm-hmm. we would we would love to hear them in the comments. Oh yeah, so. of course, of course, yes. And we could probably spend several more hours talking about this film, but I don't want to get, uh, now feels kind of like a natural stopping point. Um, we could probably do a whole second part in just this, this film alone, but you know, I kind of, we recapped a whole lot. You know what I mean? We would just be dissecting it going into scene by scene. But at that point, I'm just going to upload my notes, um, in the show notes and that way people can check them out just because I really do break down a lot of things and it's just from different perspectives and you should totally check it out. I, I would, I would think someone like you would probably in, in watching the film and reading some of my notes. Well, I mean, you probably wouldn't even have to do that to begin with since you know the scenes, but like just seeing that, um, kind of like those films you ever see them on, on TV where it's, it pops up facts about the film as you're watching it you know something kind of like that um but there's just yeah and then there's a lot of scenes that are open to interpretation so i like to hear other people's opinions oh yeah 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 i mean but yeah man i mean we'll come back to this (laughs) this movie i mean you know we, we can always try to explore a different movie a different science fiction animated film or whatever and then or maybe even have a whole you know uh this will be the topic for one of the podcasts and we'll cover this one as well again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I, I mentioned to my wife doing something like that and that, I mean, you and I, when we were trying to put podcast ideas together, we were thinking about exploring topics. We mentioned exploring cyberpunk, but this could be a thing I, I mentioned to my wife doing something like exploring animation. We could always do the same thing and talk about it. You know what I mean? Um, it would be uh, it's interesting. It, it, right it, exploring just a single genre, I guess you could say a single just style mm-hmm. of film and seeing um, just how they made it and what's what sets it apart from other genres and and you know yeah 
and, and there's too many good ones out there that you know not everybody knows about. And when they find it, they're like, "Wow, this is an amazing movie." Well, that and there's <laughs> a lot of obscure cult following things that it's like, "Wow, I love this and this," and how have I never seen this? Kind of like that Brendan Fraser film that I mentioned. You know, it's like, or yeah. I was talking to my wife today about Ryan Reynolds because he had a new movie that dropped recently on Netflix uh, called The Atom Project. Uh, and yeah. essentially, like, it's funny because of how popular he is. And and not to go on a crazy side tangent here, but it's crazy to, with how popular he is and how there's some films like Chaos Theory or, like, I saw The Proposal with Sandra Bullock. That was probably one of the first films I've ever seen him in there. And it's like he was not, like, top billed until much later. He wasn't popular at that time. You know what I mean? So it's like there could be a lot of things that unless you actually go back through the catalog and explore, you're never going to know those things existed. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, he's an interesting actor, man. That, that's, <laughs> that's a, a whole – uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, I mean, it exists. You know, there's a, there's a lot of exploring you can do in film, and I mean that's why – this podcast exists to just kind of break things down and especially things that we're passionate about, because I mean, there's, there's so much that anybody could talk about. And it's such a film is such a broad, you know, like you said, open interpretation, different people from different backgrounds do, you know, bring different things to the table. So, you know, listening to a film podcast, you're not going to hear everything. You know what I mean? One film podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I'm saying. I definitely recommend watching Fantastic Planet. Yes. And, yes, you know, yes. if you have any opinions, throw them in the comments. Um, and we would love to hear them. And uh, oh, yes. it's a really good movie. Sure. Even if you don't want to throw out your own opinion, it's a must watch, I think. It's completely different than anything else I've seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very original style. And uh, I, I do recommend check it out. If you can, it's on HBO Max. So if you have a subscription, you can, you know, see it from there. You might, uh, eBay has DVD copies if you want to own it. So, yeah. Like I, but, like I said, check out your local dollar store before going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will have to keep my eye out. I, I'm going to have, but I'm yeah. going to have to check out the HBO commentary. Cause that's pretty interesting. I haven't been able to find any commentary at all. So that's pretty cool. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man. Well, it was uh, fun talking to you about uh, this film, and uh, I know we're gonna cover some more films in the future. And you know, this is just kind of um, side tangents, just so that you know, break up the pace of just different things that we're covering. Um, so maybe you know, we will look at more early animation or next. I think we had some ideas about doing another kind of side tangent topic, but. Yeah, th yeah, this was yeah. fun. I mean, I, I like talking to some uh, or about something that we haven't covered before or outside the box, and this is definitely one, you know, that I have a lot of uh, pride in, <laughs> in, you know, right. I love this movie. And I'm glad that we were able to dedicate a lot of time to a movie um, like this, too, since there's so much to interpretation. There's so much to talk about. You know what I mean? It definitely needs, you know, however long this podcast is going to be, an hour and a half. Um, it definitely needs that amount of time and more. You know what I yeah. mean? So, but yeah, man, it was fun having you on. And uh, we'll definitely be doing it again soon.
Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So until next time, this is currently streaming podcast and happy streaming. Mm-hmm.